You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. My guest for this episode of Sascapes is a real Renaissance man. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines Renaissance man as a man who is interested in and knows a lot about many things. Weldon Gray knows a lot about the Renaissance period. And as a luthier, Weldon exudes a love of fine, detailed craftsmanship and the history of music from medieval Renaissance and Baroque periods. Weldon is also a self-professed idiot. I mean that in the most complimentary of ways. I'm Kevin Power, and if you find inspiration in people who choose to make a living following their passion, then you're sure to find inspiration in Weldon's story. From master luthier to children's entertainer, he's a true wizard at his craft. I'm with Weldon Gray today in Saskatoon. Weldon is going to touch base on three aspects of his life. And first, we're going to talk about his life as a luthier. Weldon, thank you for coming along for the ride. So, uh, first of all, let me get to know a little bit about you. You were originally from the States? Yeah, I was born in Arizona. Right. And how did you find your way to Canada? I ended up marrying a Canadian. That'll do it. But... uh, (laughs) I actually, well, that's why I'm a citizen, but I came to Canada. I was working on a, a theme park and, uh, in BC, uh, the Flintstone Park at that time. Right. And, uh, I was doing the sculptures for the, the dinosaurs and that sort of thing. And then I met somebody and married them and bingo, I'm a Canadian now. So. You make it sound so easy. Oh, it was. Just just like that. No problem. And when did you arrive in Saskatchewan? Uh, Eleven years ago. Do you find a huge difference between the terrain of Saskatchewan and the terrain of Arizona? Not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no mountains here to speak of, but... uh, the the terrain looks the same, except minus the rattlesnakes and cactus, I guess. Right. But it's all pretty barren in the summer. So on a scorching day like today, you probably feel right yeah, at home. It feels like Phoenix. Yeah, it does. Right. Yeah. Okay, right. Okay, so um, I'm standing here in your shop, and I'm looking at um, what I presume will be the body of a loot that you are constructing. Correct. So before we get to the specifics of this in front of me, tell me how you found your way to making loots. Uh, I was a member of the SCA, which is a Society for Creative Acronism, Inacronism, and I wanted a loot, so I went to buy one, and I found out you can't buy them. So I made my own, and doing the research and that sort of thing, it was just fascinating, and uh, all of a sudden it just bloomed, and I kept doing it, and now I'm obsessed, and I don't know how many I've even made. I've made them for other people, for customers, and that sort of thing. Okay, let's back up for a second. What was your initial attraction that that made you want a lute as opposed to an accordion or uh, you know a piano or a guitar well in the middle ages which is from uh, probably the year 600 to 1600 there weren't any guitars to speak of Mm -hmm. and uh, definitely no accordions so uh, i wanted the lute i wanted to look authentic in the dress and that sort of thing so Right, right, and and so you also have an affinity for that yeah. period of music. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that music, but As I didn't I. really get into that music until I started building the instruments, and uh, that's uh, that was something that's uh, the first time I heard a medieval chord. I was hooked. It was just like mm-hmm. this is so different. I love it. 
Yeah, it's it, it's it? hypnotic. It's my most favorite genre of. Uh, well, if you like, if you listen to Dowland or something like yeah. that, I mean, the guy was probably a manic depressive, but his music is cathartic. It just uh, somehow makes you feel good. A manic depressive artist. How yeah. odd. I yeah. think that's called an oxymoron. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, and so when one decides that since they can't find a loot, they'll make one, you just don't go to the library and, and get the uh, loot making for dummies book. Uh, how do you how do you begin? First of all, where do you get the wood? Uh, well, my first loot probably wasn't a masterpiece, but uh, I'm a, I may do it, build it, try it, fix it type of person mm -hmm. and I don't really get discouraged with failures I just keep trying again so I think that's uh, you can buy get some information on how to build a loot mm -hmm. I looked at things up in the, I found a, a book in the library which was probably a hundred years old so they didn't care there was no patent so I went and photocopied every page on loots and I read that, and that's how I started learning how to do it. Right, because there aren't any loot kits, right? I think there are, but I've never used one. I don't. I wouldn't trust it if to to pay a lot. I think they're about four or five hundred dollars for a kit. But I doubt that. I've just found them lately as as I look on the internet. But I wouldn't trust it. I don't know. It may they may be great, but. Uh, well, you're a bit of a purist probably at this point because you've made so many from scratch. Yeah. And so it would be, I would imagine, impossible to replicate the sound from one loot to another. Everyone is They're completely unique. You don't know what it's going to sound like until you pluck it. Everything can change it from the size of the bowl. Mm -hmm. The uh, the soundboard could be, uh, could be. This is spruce from Vancouver, uh, from uh, Terrace, BC, and. Uh, there's uh, Sitka, there's uh, Rock Spruce, there's Engelman, there's Cedar, there's a million different kinds of soundboards. And as far as it sounding like the old ones, who knows? Because mm -hmm. none have survived from the Middle Ages. There are some who have survived from uh, the Renaissance, but they're not playable. You strung them up, they'd fall apart probably. So. Right. So the this body of the lute that we're looking at, we call the bowl? Yeah, that's the bowl. This oh. is the belly. Okay, now the bowl has this interesting inlay, um, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, that's not natural to the wood. Have you made? Have you constructed? They're that? all different pieces carved to fit. Wow! So you've and done every, each one of those individually. Every one individually, and you, it's not like a floor. You can't just get a bunch of them. Every single one has to be carved to fit, and you know has to be concaved. Right. This is not unlike what one sees uh, in with quilters when they make yeah. uh, quilting patterns. There is, I think, there is a quilting pattern. With this. Right. I don't. I don't know what the name of this is, but uh, uh, as far as I know, and there's a one of these in Paris, and there's one of them in England from the 1600s. And as far as I know, I have the third one, almost finished. <laughs> right. Pertaining to this particular yeah, design. It's called the Bosch lute. Right, right. And okay. a, a, uh, obviously a German. I think that's a, na a German name. And most luthiers who even ended up in Spain were all from Germany. And they they were probably the foundation of the lute, lutist world. After it, the oud came to uh, Western Europe, and that's where the lute came from. And then when, once it started, then they... Uh, anyway, this this one, as far as I know... The only one, that, like I said, it's really, really rare. And when I get it done, it's uh, there will be one in my house. Wow! So this and this wood, um, does this particular wood come from Terrace? Uh, no, this comes from Africa. This is Gaboon uh, ebony. That's Africa. This is uh, uh, holly, which probably comes from California. It's called holly wood. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think that's how California mm. got its name. Oh, right. This is black walnut. It could be from anywhere in the world that a black walnut tree would grow, and that's cherry wood, so any a cherry tree. And how, how does this wood make it to you? Uh, you can buy it at Windsor. Uh, I buy them. I go down to Arkansas quite a bit. They have a really good distributor there for wood. Mm -hmm. And this this comes from Terrace, B.C., which I happen to be friends with. The uh, uh, the, his, the occupation is a, uh, he's a sound wood person, and that's somebody who 
actually cuts down a tree and then figures out what to do, splits it up, and makes sound wood. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Right. And now we're in, we're in your shop, which is obviously temperature controlled, which likely means that this wood is very sensitive to temperature. Uh, actually, it's only on for your benefit because it's hotter than blazes <laughs> out here. When, <laughs> oh, when I'm right making there. an instrument, I want them to go through hell. Right, because right. Because when I'm making it, I want them to have the, all the extremes, cold, hot, humid, whatever. If they're going to crack, I want them to do it while I'm still in my hands. Oh, wow. Are they prone to cracking? Or? Uh, I have had, they, they do, they will right. crack. But if they do, then you know you have a bad piece of wood, you replace it. Do you have to keep them, uh, do you have to uh, keep a humidifier inside? I know guitars have humidifiers. You should, once you, once you own it. Well, not inside, but it, there should be, it should be in a room where the humidity stays constant that's the secret you don't want it to get extremes is what cracks them uh like a museum of course they keep everything at a perfect constant temperature but if i if you can just keep your from going from uh 100 percent humidity to zero percent overnight that's what cracks them okay so from the bowl stage, at what point does the soundboard beside it here Oh, it's almost time attached? to go on now. This basically just fits on here like so. Right. That's the soundboard, but of course right now I'm working on the neck, which I'm doing, a, I'm, I'm at the process of carving a design into the back of the neck. Now is that carving done with by hand, not with a lathe? Oh no, no, it's all done by hand. Wow. And have you copied this design from... Uh, I got it off of a ancient lute from a long, long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure who made the lute or anything. I just it found the design on the internet. And uh, I printed it off. And But I've reconfigured it because the, the, the other pattern was so busy you could hardly see anything. And I've, I've left probably a third of it out just so that it, it's a little easier to carve, easier to look at, and I think uh, it's not so crowded before. It was just so incredibly crowded. But I've changed it, modified it, but I didn't uh, invent it. Okay. Uh, I should say also that inside the bowl of the lute, you've put your, um, your logo, which is Grey Lore Lutes. Um, 2014 in Saskatoon. GreyLoreLutes.com, I think, is your website. Yes, yes. Right, if anybody wants to find you and look yeah, at it. Yeah, that's easy, easy to find. There's Greylor Lutes. So then the soundboard will go on. The, ne- oh, the yeah, neck will go on first. This goes on, you know, and then we yeah. just screw the screws in and glue it. The real trick is to have it where the bridge is the right height, and the, which is that's the most critical thing in the whole process. This glues on to here, and then that's your peg box. This one will have 14 strings. It will have eight courses, two Chantel strings. That means two single strings on the high high end of the register. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the number of strings on a lute can vary, yes? Oh, yeah. It could be four strings. It could be 30. Uh, you, you don't. There's no There's no set. Uh, Renaissance lutes. Uh, the oud, when the oud came, like the crusader, but even before that, but the crusaders would bring the, brought the oud back from uh, places like Persia, which is now Iran. And, uh, that was that was an instrument, but the, uh, Western Europe used mostly had a harp, and that was what the music what the music came from. Harps and fifes, you know, the little, the little whistles, that sort of thing. 
But when they brought this in, uh, the I have an oud downstairs, but uh, when it has no frets, the oud didn't. It's like a violin, so you, your notes at the Arabic scale has, I think it's 36 notes, I'm not sure. But it's like if you take uh, the between the piano, the black key and the white key, yeah, the, the sharp and the flat, mm-hmm. okay, so you have... A half sharp or a half flat. There's yeah. a whole other note. Exactly. Yeah, notes that we don't even notate. No, we don't. We, we don't, we don't even, even use them. Right. But uh, right. the Arabic scale, it's called a mantra or a makam. Anyway, it's called. Yeah, I don't know where I got the word mantra, but it, mm-hmm. it's called the the makam. And once you learn, there's uh, I think there's 13 different makams, different types of scales and. Uh, they're they're very difficult to learn. Like if you're going up, you hit a particular note, but if you're going down, you never hit that note. And that's. Uh, but I don't totally understand it. I learned to play it enough to, so somebody could hear it. But I didn't. Uh, I didn't master it. I haven't really mastered any instrument. I'm not really a musician. I'm a, I'm better at making them than I am playing them. You're the craftsman. But I do I do do what you know sort of. It's not really. A, I shouldn't use the word common uh, concert. I should use the word demonstrate. Now, um, does each variety of lute get tuned um, differently? I guess where I'm going with that question is: Do you tune a lute to? A um, A four forty or A four. Well, everything 15. I do everything four forty because I buy guitar tuners and that's all they are. Yeah. And the but there is a European scale, but it means nothing to me because I'm usually playing uh, solos or by myself. So, right. but the, as far as the tuning of a lute, they're usually tuned to a minor, A minor or D minor. Mm-hmm. But that is very loose because as Bach wrote music. Luthiers added strings and tuned according to whatever he wrote. So right. you you might have to retune your instrument to actually play what the music uh, the composer wrote. Right, but I believe that they tuned to in that period would have tuned to well certainly by Bach's era, if you believe the purists would have tuned to A four fifteen. Yeah, um, which is commonly known as rope pitch, which yeah. is a semitone lower than, it's, uh, than what we're used to. Yeah, you could, if you're tuned up, like, you couldn't play your harmonica with what they, if you got a luthier from Europe who's a purist and has a lute, you couldn't break out your harmonica and play with them. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it, everything would sound wrong. Right, then you'd have to get out the Baroque yeah. harmonica. <laughs> you'd have to get the Baroque <laughs> harmonica. Right. So but you, I just do everything 440, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't worry about it. Okay, well, now you need to develop an app that is a that's a tuning app just yeah. for lutes. Yeah. Um, which we can get download on the iPhone. I can turn the computer on and off and my my ability I can search I, I have no computer skills. That's okay. Whatsoever. We we don't need every gift there is to be had. So uh, you mentioned early on that you've no idea at this point how many lutes you've actually made. I counted them up the other day but then I forgot. Uh, I'm not sure. Now you don't uh, keep them all. No, uh, some of them are, are contracts for musicians, and I make them, and they they tell me what they exactly what they want. I make it, and then they take it away, and I never see it again. So, except unless they want something done, new strings or something like that. After you've put so much love and labor and time into creating a lute for somebody, is it difficult when you is it like letting go of a a limb? I consider you, running off with it. Right. I mean, it must be very hard to... I mean, it is. I don't right. want to let go of it. Sure. I, I don't figure out that they don't deserve this. I'm keeping this. <laughs> so what if they got money? <laughs> I was going to say, until they pull out the checkbook and then we realize... Oh. Well, they give my wife the money and then that's the end of it. Right. Okay. And who are the they uh, that we're speaking of? How far... Well, uh, one of the... Uh, I've gotten information as far away as Holland. Uh Edmonton, there's a couple of people, uh, really good musicians there. Mm-hmm. Tom Mead is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an actual professional musician. He plays in coffee houses and that sort of thing. And uh, if you're there and uh, all you got to do is look him up and find out where he's playing, you can hear a, uh, I'll show you a picture of it, but it's a, what they call a, it's a 32-string Baroque lute. It has three peg boxes and it's almost, it has, it looks like a harp. It's the most complicated thing I've ever made. I can't even begin to play it. But when he picked it up in our living room, he sat there and played it for two hours. 
and he had music from Bach, and he just kept turning the page and playing. And it Amazing. was uh, it was a regular concert that we got in on. How long did it take you to make that? Uh, six months. Wow, is that the average time it will take you, or is that particularly long because it was complicated? Uh, it was very complicated, and I tell everybody six months. Sometimes I beat it. Sometimes right. I don't. Right. I can't be rushed. I refuse to be rushed. Now he yeah. plays in coffee houses in Edmonton. Is he playing? Is He's he a, playing Renaissance and Baroque music? In, oh yeah, oh, right. Yeah, he also he plays jazz. Uh, he's a real musician, like incredible. But he uh, he also teaches mm-hmm. and he does concerts and that sort of thing. And he plays all around Edmonton, and that anybody can book him. Uh, but he's a he's an incredible musician. Has the lute found some kind of an interesting, unique, quirky? Uh, Place in modern music. Um, well, according to Sting, it has. Have you seen? Yeah, his? I have, and love that recording. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely okay. love it. Uh, he's, I think, is making a comeback. People are getting tired of the electric in-your-face music. Yeah, there are old farts like me who kind of like to, you know, we'd like to get up out and after a concert feeling good, not feeling like going to war. Right. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about mandolins? Have you? Have you... Uh, I've never made one. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about them. I love to hear them. Right. If somebody knows how to play them, I love listening to it. Speaking of hearing them, at what point do we get to hear some of the? the oh, we have to go into made? the museum downstairs. Okay. Um, all right. The, okay, we have a museum. So this one here is going to be for you. You're not departing. With no, this. no. Somebody asked me what they'd have to pay, and I said $30,000, knowing nobody would pay that. So so that's above <laughs> the usual price somebody yes. would pay. Yeah, somewhat above it. Right. But, I mean, there's thousands of hours. I don't know. If, sure. I, I didn't keep track. Sure. But uh, step back a second and mm-hmm. watch this. Okay, stare at it like, like you're looking. Well, I already caught that early yeah. on. Uh, what what Weldon is showing me is is the bowl again with this design. It's completely 3D. It is an optical illusion. And the design is made, it's these triangles become boxes, uh, which then have depth almost as if they're multiple steps. And he's turning it, and as he's turning it, almost like, um, uh, um, what's the word? Kaleid- not kaleidoscope. Uh, uh, kaleidoscope. Par- yeah, is it the kaleidoscope yeah. that you hold up to your eye, right? I had yeah. when I was a kid. Um, that, that's almost the way the shape changes, but it is completely a, a trick of the eye. Um, that it has three-dimensional. So you see, you're ahead of your time. You created a 3D lute. <laughs> yes. Actually, no. Somebody did it in the 16th century. I can show you a picture in a book after we're off. No glasses required. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really neat. Like, it's the biggest challenge I've ever had, or, or put myself to. And uh, it's, uh, I've had people come up to me, and they go to feel it, and they say, oh, it's smooth. And then they feel it again, and they can't. They can't under. They, it blows their mind. They can't figure it out. Right, because because of the depth of it, you're yeah. almost expecting to be brushing your hand across the top of uh, of edges of yes. of boxes. Right, right. Um, is there a particular time of day uh, that you prefer to work on your lutes? No. Sometimes I'm out here at six in the morning. Sometimes at ten at night. Uh, Any time during the day, if I'm awake, I like doing it. And do you listen to the music of the period while you're making the music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I put, uh, uh, well, we have the Baroque station on TV and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes I listen to watch movies, Dumb and Dumber, something <laughs> something really cathartic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> cathartic. Is that what that movie was? Um, uh, you. Uh, that's, I, I thought I'd go to an extreme there. Yeah, well, that's, that's about it, and uh, now there's part two. Um, has there been a lute that you've made which has had a complete dud of a sound? Yes. And what do you do with a lute uh, like that? It's, it's all in pieces now, and I use the parts. Okay. I made a, I use the parts to, like the peg boxes. There's an incredible amount of work goes into just this. Mm-hmm. And it goes, well, there's no, this has no effect on the sound. So right. you wouldn't throw it away. Right. So I, I just reused, I cannibalized it and made other parts. That's, that's in the very early days. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I, when I was learning, and I learned some things what not to do. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of things you can learn. There's a learning curve pretty steep. 
Mm-hmm. Like you can, uh, uh, who knew you could clamp wood too tight? Right. That all the glue is gone and then it doesn't hold. Right. So uh, right. Right. <laughs> that can cause a problem. So so your your learning curve has meant that your track record for for coming up with a dud loot is um, is almost non-existent now. Yes. No. No more duds. No, that was my second loot that I ever made that turned out to be a total dud. And that was actually sounding good for about a year. And then it <laughs> Well, don't they say that all geniuses need to tra- need to fail 99% of the time so that it's so on the 100 that they get it right. Oh, I didn't I hadn't heard that. I think you have to fail good. a few times, okay. Um, well, they say you learn nothing from your successes, you learn only from your failures. There now we get into life philosophy 101. Yeah. It's quite true. Um, excellent. So let's head into your museum in the house, and then we get to hear some of these lutes. So now we've moved downstairs to what you're calling the, your museum. And first on the block, we have a guitar here that you're showing me, but it's not your average guitar. Tell me about this. This is probably the first guitar. Like if you were in Shakespeare, living in Shakespeare's time and you wanted to buy a guitar, this might be what it looks like. This is a fluted back, call it a Renaissance guitar or a vihuela. People living in the Renaissance didn't realize they were in the Renaissance, so it was probably called a vihuela because the Spanish had a big big influence on guitars and that sort of thing. Did you make that? Yes. Wow. Yes, I made all these instruments I made. And it's... Uh, and is this a one-off, or have you made others since then? So only well, if there's one there, but it's not the same as this one. Right. That's a seven string. This is a six. Normally, they would have ten strings, and they'd have five courses, so you'd have ten pairs of strings. Mm-hmm. And so there'd only be five courses, and it would be different. But there, I'll turn this off, and you can hear it. And is, is this tuned the same as a modern guitar? This one is. Uh-huh. But the, uh, I don't know what the tuning, the Baroque tuning for a guitar was. bright sound. It has a deep sound. I think the fluted back on such a small instrument makes the difference because you don't have to brace it. Right. Any instrument, the less you brace it, the better it sounds. But also you run the risk of it falling apart. So the more you brace it to be safe, the worse it sounds. Right. So this one has very little bracing, no bracing in the back. So the only bracing is in the soundboard itself. And I think it makes a difference. Like you, it sounds really good for a tiny answer. Mm-hmm. I've seen an instrument similar to this in some um, Spanish and Mexican music. Oh yeah, this this is their instrument. Like yeah. it's, the, I mean, the looks to everything. the layman, it would appear to be like a child-sized guitar. Yeah, but it, it is does. an instrument in its own right. With the rooster is very Spanish, right? right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, this is all. All of this is all inlaid. It's not. Nothing is bought. Right, the, yeah. it's all carved out and inlaid the, um, on the fretboard, all of the, the inlay and that sort of thing. But I make no attempt to try and have original wood. The wood is actually from South America. It's called leopard wood. Ah, and uh, and to have original wood is almost impossible. Most yeah. of it doesn't exist anymore. 
And you were saying when we were up in the shop that really for wood to be useful to, to you, it has to have been aged for at least 10 for years. 10 years, yeah. yeah. You, want, you don't want to use anything less than, less than seven years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you can't always know. If you buy something, like what, where I get most of my wood is at the Habitat store, and there's uh, all kinds of maple that comes in and uh, hardwood flooring, and they have one case left over. So I, whenever they have sales, like you can buy them sometimes for $5 mm-hmm. for a big box, I buy, I stock up, and all my necks and all that sort of thing is all made from that because it's kill-dried, and it's been sitting in a lumber yard probably five years trying to sell it, probably another five years after they've sold the rest of it, and then they put it in the Habitat store. So Right. Wow, so you're also recycling. Uh, yes. Repurposing. Yeah, this is maple. This neck is all maple. It's just dyed black. Right. So so that it looks like ebony. And these keyboard, these, these fretboards are fixed. They're not floating. For, you can't. They're not adjustable. Yeah, they are. They're oh, all they gut are adjustable. String, yeah, feel it. That's, all right. That's just string. It would be gut string in its day. Right. Right. But this is just a nylon line that yeah. I use. Right. So you can put them anywhere you want them. Uh-huh. And so on the wall here, we're looking at uh, five five loops of various, uh, the bowls are various shapes. So These two are, this, uh, it's a domra, it's a Russian instrument, the Russian peasant instrument, and that is a balalaika. Right. So they're, And they're both from Russia. And uh, pictures, the picture on the wall by Silly, he's the guy who, made them famous but the they've they've been in russia since the beginning of time the reason they have the funny shape is i think the mongols were raiding into china and back and forth into russia and i think they brought that back i don't know that but you see chinese instruments that look identical Mm -hmm. and do they predate the renaissance lute or would we have seen these only the first official recommendation on the lute is when Oh, the the Russian prime minister, I can't think of his name, Alexander. Not Putin. No, 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 <laughs> not Putin. The Terrible. Who was the guy called the Terrible? Ivan the Ivan Terrible. terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, he decreed that you are not to play the Belalaika ever again and play music and that sort of thing. He, he decided that was a sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things he did for a hobby. I can't imagine how he thought that was a sin. But anyway, uh, and two peasants were arrested in St. Peter's Square, drunk and playing the Belalaikas in 1680, and that's on the actual records in Russia on the at the police station. So we know they go back that far, but they go way back further than that because it was considered the peasant's instrument, and they've been making them for years, you know, for probably a thousand years. And I think it's ever since the Mongols were reading back and forth. That's what I think, but okay. I have no way of proving that. Well, at the at the very least, we know that inebriation was existed on the streets. Yes, yes, in Russia. <laughs> right, in Russia. <laughs> and nothing's really changed. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. From what I understand. And so next to next to these, we have three lutes. Um, the first one is an oud. Okay. That is a, a Turkish oud. Now, so, I I plead ignorance in generalizing and calling these all lutes because to the to the eye they actually appear to be very similar to what you've been building outside. So do we classify the oud as an instrument on of its own right, or does it fall into the lute family? It is the oud is the origin for all stringed instruments in Europe now. That was the first one, and if you look in a lot of really old paintings, you'll see pictures of people with that instrument, and they're actually bowing it and fretting it, just like you would uh-huh. a cello. Oh, right. I've seen that. So that's what, that's what the oud that, is. That's what the oud is. But as soon as the oud ended up in Europe, the Europe didn't like the idea of all an uh, unfretted instrument. So uh, the you'll even notice, like in Vermeer paintings, it's a gambola. Uh, yeah. Okay. It has, it has frets. Yeah. Just like a guitar. Because yep. they couldn't live with the fact that you might be able to hit a note that wasn't there. That right. they didn't it wasn't in the twelve notes that they right. that the Europeans at Pythagoras decide was what you would use. Now the oud in where in the in the spot where we're used to seeing the traditional 
um, sound hole on a guitar. It is there, but it has an absolutely stunning onlay. Um, I'm referring to this white. The, yeah, the white. That would be ivory. Uh, in, I was going to say from from here, it looks it appears to be ivory. But that I didn't want to shoot our only elephant, so right. I made it out of plastic. <laughs> okay, all right. But that that still is the main sound that's, hole of the body. Yeah, that's uh, well. It has this one has three, and it right. could actually have decorations in all three, or it could be just a hole. the The turkey shoot was very fancy, and this one is fairly fancy. Uh, if you look close, there's fourteen hundred pieces of inlay just in the soundboard, and that's right. not counting in the back. And if you count all of them, they're stitching around the side and all of the circles, and it it covers the entire the the entire body and that would be a turkey shoot and they're they're pretty and i can show you the, the and again you've built this yes the man hours of work going into this as you can see there's see the little stitching all that is different pieces of wood all inlaid ebony holly and then this is uh purple heart Good grief. And then, We're talking about something that is not much larger than the size of, uh, of, of a quilting stitch. I mean, yeah. and each one is different. And this is bloodwood. This is holly. That's ebony. And then that's maple. And then it goes throughout the, throughout the whole thing. It's just like that. Such intricate work. It's beautiful. Can we hear how it sounds? This is what started it all. They found these in, in tombs in Egypt uh, 2,000 years before Christ. Wow. So, and then this came throughout Europe, and then the violins were built, and, the, and oud, uh, lutes, and then guitars. And so this is what started it all. It all started in Persia, that part of the world. We have what? Tell me about this. Hurdy gurdy. This is the hurdy gurdy. No, that's an organistrum. This is the organistrum, and it plays chords. This is a stunning instrument. And someone created one. Uh, here's a picture of it being used. These these are my plans right there. <laughs> right. So you've you've ta you've taken your plans from a statue. Yes, it right. doesn't matter how long you wait, they never go to the bathroom, so you don't get to see what the right, back they looks don't. like. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right, right, they are two stone statues, um, and one is holding the body of the organ instrument, the other and is holding it. And the other one lifts the stops. So it would take two people to play this. Yes, and it only plays chords, and it, that's, it's perfect for Gregorian music, because you can tune it to a minor chord or a major chord, or if it's a... If it's a minor chord, then you can just deaden this one with your hand. The guy who's cranking can deaden that one, and then you end up with just a medieval chord. Right. So for listeners, what I'm looking at here in the, um, in well, for the lack of a better word, it almost looks like this would be the neck. Um, yes. But it, it's a peg box. The peg box has um, um, spindles coming out that are much like a, like a, if you can imagine a, a foosball game, yeah, um, yeah. You know, right, where you're pulling the rods it's just like in and foosball. out. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. except as you lift them, um, there are stoppers inside that lift three the three strings to make a chord. Uh, are these gut strings? Yes, those yes. are gut strings. Right. The real deal. The real thing. And they, you open the door, they go out of tune. Right, right. And then you're resting your hand here on. What appears to be a lyre or a harp? It's a harp. It's yeah. a uh, 14th century, it's called a clarsac. It's a 14th century Gaelic harp. Uh, I could get my wife down here to play that if you'd like to hear it. 
But I can't play that because it takes fingernails, and to play all the other instruments, you got to cut your fingernails off. And the, the strings are uh, gold, silver, bronze, and brass. And again, you've built this. Yes. All the instruments. Amazing. And uh, this, like the little feet and everything, I sculptured them out of wax, made molds, and then sent the molds to uh, a foundry, and they cast the bronze. And then, of course, I had to work the bronze when they were done. It took a long time to work those out. For I was going to say, the man hours of work on this. Is, it's many. I, no, I couldn't guess. Yes, it would have had to have taken you longer than six months. To I was, uh, yeah, it was about a year yeah, on I this. I bet. Beautiful. You are the only person in town that would have a collection like this. Probably. Very possible the only one in Saskatchewan. And, I dare say. And I'm... I mean, there may I'm be some. Waiting to see somebody else in Canada who has one. <laughs> well, if, for listeners in Canada, across Canada, who are listening to this podcast, if you have any of these instruments, contact Walden through uh, through Greylord. Greylord Lutz, yeah. Greylordlutz.com and let him know. Time to form a club. <laughs> um, so then we could go to the hurdy gurdy yes, now that we started right. the organistrum. None of these are playable without. A series of body straps. It appears quite heavy. This one is, because mm -hmm. I made it out of Purple Heart. That one's not. That one is totally mine. If you look at it really close, you'll see it's got, I sculptured Bear Rabbit's head on it. Because wow. that was my favorite cartoon. And then I got some old comic books and decoupaged their, oh. their faces on, on the instrument, on the peg box. And then if you look in the end, you'll see they're actually, their their characters go round and round chasing each other on the wheel. So would it would these have typically had that kind of amusing um, they theme to them? They would typically have a head like a ship, an angel, uh, maybe a king or a queen. Mm -hmm. Usually it was a sign of respect, but I have a lot of respect for bear rabbits, so... <laughs> <laughs> That was my favorite cartoon character uh -huh. growing up as a kid, so there he is. Greek sultry. You've seen those in and We've heard of sultries even in biblical times. Yeah. yeah. And then this is a bowed sultry. This is very common. But this is a giant sultry. And there's a few of these in the world. This is a tower. Many. This stands on the floor. But it has an incredible We're looking at something that, if you can imagine the, the lower half to be a church and then the upper half to be an incredibly tall steeple. It's a church steeple. It is a church steeple.
moving on to the second part of the life of Walton Gray. And this is your alter ego, that of the wacky wizard. Um, tell me how the wacky wizard was born. When did you begin doing children's entertainment? When I was in the fifth grade, my mom bought me a ventriloquist doll and put me up in front of the church. And that's okay. where it all started. So I started uh -huh. doing Bible stories and that sort of thing. And were you good at ventriloquism? Or? Uh, no, I don't think I was. Uh -huh. But I, I can make any kind of animal come to life. Uh -huh. But I think ventriloquism doesn't work for children because... They're, they they don't live on puns. Okay, so it's and, not the it's the not the craft, the humor. Yeah, okay. yeah, the, the tr humor is not trans. They're more physical. So, like you've seen uh, George out there, mm -hmm. he's all physical. You shake his arm, his arm falls off. They think that's funny. Right. Kids love to see things go wrong with stupid adults. Okay, but when did you start as a stupid adult entertaining kids? Uh Oh, years ago. I was in my 20s. Okay, so was this a career for you early on? Yeah, I, I traveled uh, uh, through the U.S. and Canada, actually, doing shows uh, for kids at schools and that sort of thing. We called it the Parable Puppeteers. It was just like the Muppets. So we'd travel in a trailer and go from place to place and book up the year and then fill up the year by doing that. And so when you came to Canada, you were doing shows with a partner who always ended up having a life outside of the shows. Well, I was already living here because I had moved here as an artist working at uh, for the, the Santa Barbara theme park. Right. And then I wanted to do this as well. So I filled my weekends up with that. So I ended up getting a partner and we were booked with the Optimus Club to do to do. I think it was six shows in a row, in, and they were busting kids in from everywhere. And she called up the day before. She says, "I'm in love. I can't even think. I can't show up. I can't do it tomorrow." <laughs> she she had fallen in love, and so she just couldn't think. That was it. It happens to the best of us. So anyway, I'm stunned. I, I'm yeah. not even mad. I'm stunned. I don't know what right. to do. Something. Right. What the? Heck? I mean, these people. It's been in the. It's been in the book. So what I did, I spent all night making a big book to take her place. And so I have this big book now, and I still use it. Mm -hmm. I drew all the pictures and everything about this is how you do this magic trick. And so then you turn the page, and this is what you do. And I still use that, but, of course, I do something wrong, and everything, everything backfires and everything goes wrong. And the kids love to see a big, stupid adult doing something wrong. They just love it. They think that's, and uh, one of the things is, I think I'm tall, dark, and handsome. But and and I, I mentioned that at the beginning of the show. Throughout the show, they cannot stand the fact that I think I'm tall, dark, and handsome. And they're all yelling, "No, you're not." No, no, they'll tell you you are not tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> they they just can't wait to get that across. The brutal honesty of children. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, but that's part of it. Even after the show, they'll say, you're not tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> that's funny. And uh, they, anyway, they they like the, the fact that they can be, if they think they know something an adult doesn't, they're in heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I've always been under the impression that entertaining children has got to be the toughest crowd. That's what people tell me, but I think maybe I was born to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm in my game. Like, mm -hmm. I uh, maybe it's it just takes, what you said. You can't pull one over on kids. Kids are brutally honest, and you, yeah. you've got to be very clear on on the humor. And well, I play the idiot, uh -huh, right. which they they like. eat that up. Well, I'm not an idiot, right? So I do pull that one over on them, <laughs> right? Right. But uh, one of the first things I do is I, I have this hat that I made that looks incredibly stupid. And so I introduce the show and I tell them that they can't come on stage and mob me because they want to in the worst way. They want to see what's in the magic trunk because the magic all works. It's regular uh -huh. magic and it works and it stuns, it stuns the adults. They don't know how it works either. Mm -hmm. But with the kids, 
And then I tell him, oh, my uncle said if I would wear this hat, it would make me look smart and I'd get a lot of respect. Well, it makes me look just stupid mm -hmm. as the day is long. Mm -hmm. And they start laughing and giggling. And then they realize that I'm an idiot. And so once they're convinced that I'm an idiot, I own them. So you make a living being an idiot. Yes, yes. I'm trying to think how much I must have given away before I found out it was worth something. <laughs> and so um, I, I saw the van, the Wacky Wizard van, pull up. So you yes. travel around in a van with a portable stage, which I've seen in the video. Yep. Um, and your wife, Alice, seems to be your booking agent. She's the brains of the outfit. Okay. Yeah. As every good wife Yeah, is. she's the one with the brains. She knows where we're going, like if we're done tour. I don't do the tours that much anymore because I'm a little old. But when you toured, you toured throughout the province? Oh, yeah. We would do, uh, in five days, we would do as many as 12, 13 shows, a different town each show. Mm -hmm. And we just keep moving. And she would do most of the driving and the booking and collecting the money. And all I had to do was tend to be an idiot. Right. And it worked out well. And so now your, your, your performances are pretty much... Um, in the Saskatoon area? Uh, I'll go anywhere as long as I don't have to spend the night. Okay, right. Because I'm finding I'm getting a little old to sleep in a different bed every night. Right. That sort of thing. But your weekends seem pretty heavily booked. Yeah, oh yeah. That's that's when I work is the weekends. Mm -hmm. And you're doing parties and special events and bar mitzvahs. And uh, <laughs> I haven't done a bar mitzvah yet, oh, I don't oh. think. There you go. There's but, a call out to do it. In New York, I would have. But right, yeah, here, right. I don't think so. Okay. But yes, uh, any kind of an event, school events, schools I love because you got, you know, 100 or 150 kids and they're all there great because it just, it just goes really well. You've made your living following your muse, your passion, and the things that are, that really do, do gratify gratify you as a person if you had those opportunities taken away from you was there a point in your life where you thought i think i will be uh, an architect or was it, had you ever thought of any other profession i have done my uh -huh. after after vietnam of course everybody was looking for work then mm -hmm. but uh i worked construction i actually I worked in Arizona where there's no such thing as a union. Mm -hmm. So you had to do it all. So I did carpentry and bricklaying and that sort of thing. And then I moved to California and joined the bricklayers union. And I was mm -hmm. a union bricklayer for about mm -hmm. 10 years. Right. And uh, then you, you soon realize that it's not very fulfilling for one thing, but it's brutal to your body. Like right. your body just doesn't take it. For right. And so then I was lucky enough to uh, realize that, People will pay to be see an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> There's the title of the podcast. <laughs> the idiot luthier. <laughs> People will pay to see an idiot. Right. Yeah. But you've you you made a living you make a living doing what you love. Yes. And not everybody can say that. No, I'm really fortunate. How did the whole Hanna Barbera contract um, fall your way? That's a they, very, very well known the people who were building the theme park uh, uh, found me through some reason and saw some of the puppets and stuff that I make mm -hmm. and some of the artwork I did. And so they asked me if I would uh, build, uh, I need, they needed a Fred in a Barney costume. And so I built them and made the molds to cast them and everything with. And There's where maybe you're brickling. No, no, I actually worked in a bronze foundry for a while. Did you too. really? Oh. Yeah, actually doing casting artwork for other artists. Oh. So a uh, whole nother life. Anyway, the, that's where I learned to do that. And uh, so that once they seen them and they really liked them, then they actually asked me to come on board. And I worked there for probably two and a half years building uh, full-size dinosaurs and Wow. That sort of thing. I've that theme park pictures. doesn't exist anymore. No, I think it's all condos. The dirt's worth more than the, what it could make. Mm -hmm. And you don't know where the, where you're... I don't know where the stuff went. It's all gone. Wow. Wow. Um, you clearly uh, must live on creativity. Do you come... Was your family creative? Where did no, they were, no. My mom was pretty creative. My dad was... 
He was uh, just, uh, he's a guy who would just slug it out. During the Depression, everybody else didn't have work. He had two jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither one of them paid much, but he went from one to the other. He was as steady as a, a old faithful, you know, mm. just plodded along and worked. Right. And he didn't understand why I didn't want to do that. Right. But my mom was pretty creative. Uh-huh. And any siblings that, that followed? Not creative? really. Wow. Uh, my sister, she's into woodwork. Mm-hmm. And the, the joy of uh, living the life of a creative individual following your muse is that you can decide when you want to retire or not. Um do you need to retire when you're having so much fun? I don't plan to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I could have, but I'm supposed to. But I figure I'll work until I die as long as I can do it. Mm-hmm. And for listeners who want to find out more about the Wacky Wizard, you can go to thewackywizard.com. Net. Dot net. net. Right. Okay, thewackywizard.net. Right. If you're in the Saskatoon or area, or far enough where you close enough that you don't have to stay overnight, you may have some time in your schedule. Yes, booking in advance, if Alice deems that possible. Yes, you would talk to Alice. Right, and the folks who see the Wacky Wizard have no idea that you come home and do this intricate work. As, oh no, as a they luthier. they would never think an idiot clown could do what right, I do right. in my spare time. Right. I've started taking my hurdy-gurdies to shows and playing them before mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of blows people's minds. Mm-hmm. Because it's the opposite end of the spectrum. No kidding. You couldn't have chosen two contrasting uh, lifestyles, but both creative. Yeah. it's uh, Yeah, they're really different. And I've seen the video. You are like a big kid when you get out yeah. there. Even though you're playing the idiot adult. You, yeah. You really do have... have you adopt this child like I'm a giant six year old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you always been that way in life? I don't know. Have you learned to just you'd not have take... to ask my friends? But have you learned to take life not so seriously? I mean, is that part and parcel of I don't know. I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody else who knows me, I guess. Right. Right. I want to thank you for taking the time to let me in on what I think is an extraordinary an enviable life, living, living, making a living doing what you love. I mean, that it just doesn't get any better than that. In a world where people, you know, leave their corporate jobs midlife and then decide, well, now it's time for me to find my passion. You kind of, you, you started out that way. Well, apart from the apart from the bricklaying, and, yeah, and, and yeah, that, really. I mean, early on, early on in your life, you yeah, I'm really, I'm really got to do what I love. I'm really lucky. I know it. Well, and so are all the kids that get a chance to see you. So are all the uh, the people mm-hmm. who have who have commissioned you to create uh, loots for them. You. That's the, that's the difference in spoiled and lucky. If you're if you're lucky, that's because you know you're spoiled. Right. If you're spoiled, you don't know it. <laughs> right. And both of those demand that you be an idiot adult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've made a living being a luthier and an idiot adult and wouldn't have it any other way. No, life is good. Life is good. I'm real, I'm real happy the, the, way, the way things are going. And I, got, I got a pretty lady who puts up with me, so Aww. can't get much better than that. Thanks for letting the world in on your wonderful life. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture, and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other SAS culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...